Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. As well, if you're a fan of Canadian history, make sure you check out all of my shows, from John to Justin, Canadian History X, Canada, A Yearly Journey, and Pucks and Cups, along with Canada's Great War. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. Just click Donate. It helps keep this show going. And all donations in September will be going to the SPCA in the memory of my best pal Boris, who sadly passed away earlier this month. Okay, on with the show. After tying the series 1-1, Canada was back on track to believing that Team Canada was going to dominate the series. It was the hope that the team had found its legs, and would soon run away with the games. Of course, that was not the case, and the Soviets were quick to learn and adapt to the changing Canadian game. The Soviets had felt they had strayed too far into playing the Canadian style, as a team of individuals rather than their tight team style. Bookies in Canada still had Canada the favourite by two goals, the same spread they had seen for the previous game. With Canada having won the second game, coach Harry Sinden went with the same lineup for game two, except that Jean Rattel was replaced with Bill Goldsworthy. The Soviets decided to reunite the line of Alexander Bodanov, Yuri Lebedev, and Vyslav Anisin. This would be a major decision for the Soviets that would pay off. The game would take place at Winnipeg Arena on September 6th. At 1.54 in the first period, Canada opened the scoring in the game. Once again, the Canadians were out to a fast lead, having scored the opening goal for the third time in three games. Then, less than two minutes later, the Soviets tied the game after Frank Mahovlich had a giveaway. Okay, with them. Canadians get a shot, a weak shot to the side. Here's another drive by Bill White. The right side the By the end of the first period, thanks to a goal by Rattel, Canada was up 2-1 in the game, but the team was beginning to play sloppy, but their hard-hitting play helped keep the Soviets from putting too many goals in the net, and fans were confident the Canadians would be winning the game. Puck is back to park, cleared over on at the blue line, intercepted, here's a long shot, he scores! A long shot from the right side by Petrov, and now Lebedev. Is by Henderson. Here's Canada coming in out of break. Right in that goal. Right in. Canada would increase its lead to 3-1 with a goal by Wayne Cashman off a pass from Phil Esposito. The Soviets were not about to be left behind, and they soon moved to within one goal with superstar Karlamov, scoring after going on a breakaway and putting the puck past Tony Esposito. This was the second shorthanded goal of the game by the Soviets, and their third of the series so far. Canada was able to make it 4-2 after a goal by Paul Henderson. Then the youngsters line scored twice to tie the game for the Soviets before the end of the second period. 
the line would display the first real indication of emotion among the Soviets when they leapt in the air and hugged each other to celebrate the goal. 23, here's a shot, and he scores! A carom shot went from the blue line there. It was Vasiliev that uh, fired from the blue line, and I believe it went off the Canadian player. Puck goes into the corner, it's passed in front, it rolls loose, here's another pass, right in front, he's got the score! And they tied it up, odd enough. Let it go, almost before he could move. And Vodnov has tied the score for the Soviet. After the game, Sindin would say. The Toronto Star wrote, This threesome was lifted from the Soviet team which had won the hockey championship of the World Student Games at Lake Placid last winter. The Calgary Herald wrote of the line, the youngsters owned the puck whenever they were on the ice, and Canadian goaltender Tony Esposito was hard-pressed to hold them off the scoreboard in the final period. After two periods, the score was tied, but Canada had outshot the Soviets 32-17. The third period would have no goals, and since there was no provision for overtime, the game finished 4-4, and the series was now 1-1-1. The game was nearly won by the Soviets with only 13 seconds left when Alexander Maltsev shot the puck from 20 feet to the left of Tony Esposito. Esposito was screened and had trouble seeing the puck, but in the last second he made the save while his brother was trying to check Maltsev during the shot. Maltsev would say to Esposito, You could have won, but you almost lost. Esposito responded, We should have won, but we're damn happy to settle for a draw. Years later, Paul Henderson would say, We felt we should have won. We had a couple of breakdowns in the second period, they jumped on them, and we might have gotten a little complacent. Bobby Clark would say, In Toronto, the emotions were so high, and they carried us. In Winnipeg, the emotions were just as high, but we weren't in condition to play at that level. It caught up to us. Assistant coach John Ferguson would say that Team Canada was too overconfident. He would add, I was fooled again. I felt that after we had taken a 3-1 lead, the final score might be something like 7-1. With those two shorthanded goals, when you score one shorthanded goal, it can turn it all around. But two? That is almost fatal. Coach Sindin, for his part, did not criticize the players after the game to the media. Instead, he praised the play of the Soviets. He would say they could compete with the best of the NHL, including the juggernaut of the Boston Bruins. With the series tied still, things moved to Vancouver and the Pacific Coliseum. Sindin would replace Esposito with Ken Dryden in goal, and Serge Savard was out of the game due to fracturing his ankle in practice. Things did not get off to a good start after Bill Goldsworthy had two consecutive penalties. On both penalties, Boris Mikhailov scored power play goals, and the Soviets were up 2-0 by the end of the first period. In the second game, Gilbert Perron scored on Vladislav Trekiak to bring Canada within one, but the Soviets answered back with a goal less than a minute later. For only 57 seconds in the entire game, Canada would trail the Soviets by one. Rod Gilbert would score, but it was disallowed, and while the Canadians protested the call, the goal remained off the board. As it turned out, this would be a turning point of the game, at least according to Coach Sinden. Number three, watched by Mahavlik. He's out there with Bill Esposito trying to kill off the penalty. From the corner, the puck is shot to the blue line, recovered by Blinov. Up to center to Petrov. Over the line, he stops. They're getting that passing play. Here's Luchenko's drive. Scores! A long shot by Luchenko. And whether it was the 
deflected by a stick. It's hard to say. Coming up at the blue line, pass on the left wing to Mihailov at center. Over on that right wing, they're closing in. Every man is up now for the pass. Here's Lachenko getting his shot. He scores! Lachenko let one go on a beautiful passing play, and the Soviet have taken a 2 nothing lead. Over the line, throwing a burst of speed, going right in, centered in front of I believe the Soviet player dropped it into his own net. It looked like Raglan, who hit the puck, Perot gets credit. The Soviets were up 4-1 after two periods. Goldsworthy would score a goal to make up for the two goals he cost Canada with his penalties. The fans were becoming restless at this point, and would yell at Goldsworthy when he was on the ice, and whenever Dryden made a routine save, he would be jeered by fans. Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally, and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Canada would be within two when the score was 4-2, but the Soviets would make it 5-2. A late goal by Dennis Hall made it 5-3, but the game was soon over, and Canada now found itself behind in the series once again. Sindin would put the blame for the loss on several players, but others would specifically point out that Dryden was shaky in goal, and the Soviet tactic of car-sized passes in the attacking zone caused some problems in the net. When the game was over, Team Canada was booed off the ice and what was the last game in Canada before the series moved to Moscow. Bill Walker with the Vancouver Sun wrote, Suddenly it is now or maybe never for Team Canada. It could be that serious a situation for the National Hockey League All-Stars without too much dispute before the month is out even. Because right now it appears that Russia has conned the world and plays the best ice hockey anywhere. As it turned out, this would be the turning point for the series in many eyes, and when Phil Esposito emerged as the true leader of the team in the eyes of Canadians, his post-game interview speech would become the stuff of legend. For the people that boo us, geez, I, I'm really, I, all of us guys are really disheartened and we're disillusioned and we're disappointed in some of the people. We cannot believe the bad press we've got, uh, the, the booing we've gotten in our own buildings, and if, if, if the Russians boo their their players at the fans, Russians boo their players like some of the Canadian fans, I'm not saying all of them, some of them booed us, then I'll come back and I'll apologize to each one of the Canadians, but I don't think they will. I'm really, really, I'm really disappointed. I am completely disappointed. I cannot believe it. Some of our guys are really, really down in the dumps. We know, we're trying, what the hell, I mean, we're, we're doing the best we can and uh, they got a good team and let's face facts, but uh, it doesn't mean that we're not giving it our 150% because we certainly are. I think, uh, Phil, the disappointment is a natural thing because it, the whole thing was an unexpected thing. They, you know, we all live with the National Hockey League. We have all been so proud yeah, over the years how great they are. It's unexpected uh, because of the press said that we were so good. Or not one of well, us said yeah, that no, we were good. No, no, no. This is the thing. This is the thing that I'm on behalf of the fans. I must say that uh, that uh, probably since everything is is relative. We know how good you people are. The people didn't realize how good the Soviet team was, and now we found out how good they are. I think we can appreciate how good both teams are. But I'll tell you, we we love, I mean, every one of us guys, 35 guys that came out and played for Team Canada, we did it because we love our country. 
and not for any other reason, no other reason. They can throw the money uh, for the pension fund out the window, they can throw anything they want out the window. We came because we love Canada. And even though we play in the United States and we earn money in the United States, Canada is still our home and that's the only reason we come. And I don't think it's fair that we should be booed. Well, Phil, I can, I'm sure that the people can see from the sweat just pouring off your face that you and all your players have given 100% and we look forward to some great games from you and the rest of your gang when you get over to Moscow and we can wish you the very best of luck. John, Keep working hard. We're going to get better right now. <laughs> Thank you. Brad Park would say of the booing by fans, We get nothing, not a dime for this. Brother, I'm sick. Dryden would say, I'm disappointed, but I can understand it. The fans wanted us to do real good, and they're frustrated we didn't. I didn't think I deserved to be booed. Tretiak frustrated us, but I guess I didn't frustrate them enough. Goldsworthy would say he was ashamed to be Canadian, and that he was looking forward to playing in Moscow. He stated, It is a good thing all eight games aren't in Canada. Would USSR fans treat their team that way? I don't think players in Russia are going to get booed like we got booed here. Paul Henderson said years later, We really looked forward to Vancouver. We figured if we won that one, we'd be in good shape. But they got two power play goals in the first seven or eight minutes, and they took us right out of the game. The players and the fans would consider the game in Vancouver to be the rock bottom point for Canada. Bobby Clark would say, We weren't in condition to play at that kind of level physically. We were lousy in Vancouver. It was like the bottom dropped out. Coach Sinden said, We were never in the game. They just took control, and as hard as we tried, we seemed to get a little worse all the time. The Toronto Star said of the game, Last night they hit bottom, their worst effort of the four games. The irony of their ineptitude was that the Russians were ready to be taken, except for Tretiak, their slender bridegroom goaler. They didn't play up to their previous high standards. Overall, there was little in the way for sympathy for the Canadians. John Robertson, who was traveling with Team Canada for the Montreal, would write, I don't blame the Canadians for being bitter and frustrated. I do blame them for being so narrow-minded that they couldn't understand that maybe the fans were bitter and frustrated too. All of Canadian hockey is suffering from a badly ruptured ego today. There is no way back for Canada in this series. They'll be lucky to win one game, let alone three out of four they'll need to come out on top. As of today, the Russians are number one, and we are Brand X. With the game over, the series was suspended for two weeks. The Soviets would go home to play in a tournament, while the Canadian players took a few days off and then went to Sweden to play two exhibition games before going to Moscow. When Canada left for Europe, only a handful of fans were there to see them off. The star wrote, In Canadian hockey, things are never going to be quite the same again. That would very much be the case. Thank you for joining me on Canadian History X. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Maclean's, NHL.com, Toronto Star, Wikipedia, Calgary Herald, and the Montreal Star. This show is researched, produced, and written by me, Craig Baird, with the help of producer Dila Velasquez. Audio design and production by Rob Johnson. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help others find these amazing stories. And there are so many for you to sink your teeth into. And we love hearing from you. So if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com. And don't forget to stop by my website and social media. I've included all of those in my show notes. Until next time, I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X.